0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: We got a little Friday pre-party and joining me now, Amanda McGrew, who started the playoff dating app, which immediately when I heard the idea, I was like, this is absolutely something that I needed back in the day before I met my husband. It is a specific app for former collegiate athletes and current professional athletes, and I guess former professional too, uh, to meet each other and have this shared, unique life experience of 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 being athletes amanda what made you think of this
2: um i'm a little bit embarrassed to say that it was my own failed dating life that that made me (laughs) think of this i'm a former former college basketball player um and after being retired for a while uh i just found it much more difficult to date and to find people who i thought were like me or who kind of shared that similar mindset and perspective and and that's kind of where the idea came from And how do you
1: start a new dating app? Because first of all, I have a handful of single friends who are so burned out from them. And yet still, I'm constantly trying to push them out there on every single Bumble and and Happen and J-Date and and Cupid. There's so many already. How do you start a new one and how do you stand out from the rest?
2: I mean, truthfully, I feel like once all these niche apps started popping up, I was kind of like, all right, well, dating apps have become the way of the world. I'm still single. And it was like all my friends were doing the same thing, pushing me and encouraging me to go, you know, meet new people and go on every date that was proposed to me. And it just felt like I was searching for a needle in a haystack. And finally, I was like, well, with all these niche apps out here, I don't really feel like I fit into any of these boxes. And I just kind of asked myself, if I do identify with one group of people forever, who would it be? And for me, the answer will always be athletes. I feel like my athletic experience has dictated and kind of influenced the way I live my life and, you know, the way I solve problems, the way I meet people and all those things. And I was hoping I wasn't the only one. And it sounds like I'm not, which is great. And really just trying to take this thing to the next level. But that's truthfully, like, that athlete mindset is what sets it it apart. Each athlete, like you said, is verified to have played um, at anywhere beyond the high school level, so junior college all the way up through the Olympic level, um, for at least one season, and, you know, that has really been able to connect people with a strong foundation and relationships for a while now, which is awesome.
1: So how do you c- confirm? Because, first of all, I worked at a bar in Chicago right after college, and there was this manager there, this big dude, who claimed that he played for Miami and won a national championship. Football. (laughs) And he had this big ring on his finger and we all kind of like, you know, just assumed that that was true because why would you lie? But we would have this like uh, flag football game against another bar in Chicago and the winners would get, you know, free bar night at the other at the other location. And he was never in it. He would always like have an excuse not to play or even coach us. And then years later, someone started digging just to see after he started siphoning money off from, from the location and was <laughs> fired, uh, just to look into like whether he'd been any good. And he was not on the right. team. He bought the ring online and then just created a story oh, around God. it. So like th- this is not a surprise. I also dated a guy briefly who supposedly played football at Iowa. And when I went to see how good he was, I couldn't find any record of him. That's not to say that he wasn't right. maybe for like a week on the team at some point. Like I think it's possible, but I was like, "You weren't any good," because I can't find a
2: single stat. Yeah. Uh, So how are you tracking this? Yeah, that's pretty funny. You find no trace of these people, and all. And it is something that's typical. You know, people lie about that kind of stuff. Sadly, more often than we'd like to believe. but as, a, as an athlete signs up, they have to submit a link to their athletic bio. So anything on the internet, like you said, what you're looking for that proves that you competed at that level, whether it's a, you know, bio, uh, you know, team page, roster page, stat sheet, article, you know, whatever it is. And then you also have to submit a selfie, giving us a thumbs up to prove that you are in fact who you say you are and that you are this person in the profile and that, you know, everything kind of matches up, whether it's the birthday coming from your bio, from your, you know, for me, it was the University of Rhode Island. My Rhode Island team page has my birthday and my hometown and you know some other facts about me so kind of cross-referencing those things and just making sure that everybody to the best of our ability obviously the internet is already a pretty scary place but making sure that everybody is in fact who they say they are and did do what they said they did.
1: I also love that in that one you you, that kind of allows you to catch people on the lying about their age thing too. That's a big one. Uh, I have a friend who showed up for a date and it was the guy but it was the guy at least 10 years later than his picture and she was like she was like she just came forward and she was like why would you do that like why wouldn't you just use a current picture and he was like i just hadn't updated it it was like an app that was invented two months before like you haven't updated the app that just got created
2: like just be honest like give me a break dude
1: (laughs) all right the worst so you're cross-referencing them and is there anything special about the app once you're on it the that in the way that people meet each other is it still sort of a swipe and click and someone sends a message
2: yeah, it's pretty basic. Both people have to like each other before they can start communicating. But, you know, Function's much like any other dating app where, um, it, you know, if you like somebody, you have to either wait out to see if they like you. As of right now, you can't send any messages before you both have liked each other. Um, we also would, in, uh, in the future, like to obviously introduce um, the segment of the platform, much like Bumble, where you can uh, meet and connect and match on a platonic level, whether it's I don't really I hesitate to call it networking so I'm not really sure what I want to call it yet because I don't think it needs to be forced into a business, you know, situation but right. any sort of non-romantic relationship I think would be huge because I think just generally as as an athlete that was on a campus with 500 other athletes around me that was my social network as well. So, you know, there's obviously value in that too. It's
1: funny because like I remember especially when I lived in LA and then when I moved back to Chicago, a lot of people I would meet would be people looking for girls for their flag football or volleyball or basketball yep. team like I made yeah. a lot of I like literally would get recruited while playing in a game by someone from another team that stuck around and saw if I wanted to switch and also play a different yeah. day of the week on their team once they saw me play football yeah. so it's uh it's pretty common exactly. um, and you can make a lot of great friends that way if not romantic connections is it sort of uh and, and actually a lot of people will meet claiming the second and they find that it's actually a love connection that they hadn't anticipated exactly
2: so, right it it, kinda, i guess and, you don't have to clarify I like, I and i don't have to sell that part right it's like that kind of does it does its work on its own that can be done you know whether you sell it as platonic or romantic it's like whatever it ends up being is up to them so it's like that's none of my business either way
1: so tell me how you're trying to send this out into the athlete village where unfortunately our great olympians will be having much less sex this time around than most olympics <laughs>
2: Right, exactly. So much less sex will be had for sure. I've got um, five Olympians right now uh, in the village who are helping me promote. Uh, I've got a couple of U.S. rowers, a couple, uh, I got a, a couple of rugby players and I have uh, an Israeli baseball player um, all willing to help me, which has been super, super exciting. Um, and our, I, I've got, you know, flyers and stickers going around the village and stuff. But our biggest thing is that although there may be less sex. Uh, I can guarantee everybody that there will still be sex. And so we have playoff <laughs> customized condoms uh, out in the village right now. Amazing. Uh, that, are being, that are being passed around. Um, and hopefully that kind of gives gives us a little spur that we need to get this thing really moving.
1: I don't know how or why, but I'm going to clip off you saying I guarantee there will be sex. And it's going to just become a part of the show. <laughs> I just feel like that's how the show should start every night so that people really get excited about what's <laughs> To follow in the coming two hours. Um, this there is awesome. Exactly. I love this idea. I have a, a handful of friends that are former collegiate and former pro athletes that I think need to sign up. So I'm going to send them your way, and hopefully they'll find uh, they'll find some uh, either friends
2: or love matches. Amanda, thanks for coming on to chat. I love that so much. Thank you so much for the support. I really cannot show you how much how appreciative I am and so grateful. Thank you. Of
1: course. Her name is Amanda McGrew. She started the playoff. Dating app. You can find it on iTunes, Apple Store, Google Play, all the places that you go. I guess not iTunes, that's where podcasts are, but the App Store and Google Play and wherever you get your apps, it's called Playoff Dating App.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast.
1: Happy Friday, everybody. We made it. We made it to Friday. It's been a long week. Lots of news. Excitement of the Olympics. NFL stuff. We got a new team debuting today. Lots to get to, and it's a ladies' night, solo Spain night on Spain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz was up early again this morning cheating on me, so I'll be rocking by myself, but I got a whole lot of gals coming through tonight to talk a variety of things, so we're going to have some fun. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We'll kick it off with the opening ceremonies for the Olympics. It's a little bit weird. They consider opening ceremonies day day zero of the Olympics day one tomorrow when a lot of the action gets underway and minus one and minus two were the first couple days of action that we've already been watching of, of some soccer and softball and other stuff. Um, You know, the takeaway from the opening series ceremonies, which by the way are going to re-air during the primetime coverage tonight. If you didn't see it early this morning, I'll actually be hosting a Twitter spaces for about an hour after this show ends. I'm talking with a handful of people about the opening ceremonies as we watch some live, really casual a fun conversation over on Twitter, reacting to what we see. But a lot of what came out of this morning was, I think the perfect uh, uh, description of it was beautiful, but doomed. Um, it was gorgeous, visually in, impressive and spectacular. It had all those elements that you love to see in an opening ceremonies, whether that's sort of representing the culture of the city in which the games are happening, whether that's the really cool visuals of seeing all the different teams and, and countries in their different uniforms and outfits and, and the pride that they all felt as they walked through but ultimately doomed in that you can't remove the context uh, of what this game uh, is, is, is coinciding with, and that's the reality of COVID, and that's the reality of a city that doesn't want the games to be there. There was a moment of silence for the COVID victims and a couple other moments throughout that were very quiet, and during those times, you could actually hear the protesters outside the stadium um, because it was so quiet inside, and that was a little reminder of the fact that there are those there in Tokyo that don't want the games there and have been protesting for months in the lead up to this. And a reminder that we need sort of the cognitive dissonance that we employed early on in COVID with the baseball season and the NBA bubble and everything else to say we wish the best for these athletes. We want to root them on and, and and treat them fairly for all the work that they've put in throughout their lives to get there. But we kind of have to do so by putting aside all the other things that we know about the games and hope for the best in terms of it not putting a stressor uh, any further on the hospital systems, the city, the, the the inhabitants of Tokyo, and that everybody is able to stay safe and healthy and compete. Uh, I don't think there's much solace in a vaccinated person having minor symptoms but still being unable to compete. So the hope is that all the favorites that we have out there that are going to start to get underway um, are able to go and, and that we're able to see past some of this stuff, at least occasionally during the competitions, especially for those athletes that are competing that aren't coming home to some big Professional League and millions and millions of dollars. Uh, You know, a lot of these people, this is what they've devoted their lives to for not a lot of monetary gain, just the glory and the opportunity to represent their country. So I'm still watching and still excited, uh, despite there being a very muted opening ceremonies uh, tonight, which was our this morning, which will re-air tonight, our night, if that makes any sense to you. Uh, The other big news of the day, uh, it's been building But not for long. This is a very sudden thing. It sounds like Oklahoma and Texas are making that SEC move, not down the road, not in the future, any minute. A matter of weeks, ESPN has confirmed. And Heather Dinich was talking about this on Keyshawn, J. Will and Zubin, our uh, ESPN college football playoff senior writer, and said the Big 12 was blindsided.
3: Well, it's not only everybody watching that it came out of nowhere, too. It was the rest of the Big 12. I mean, that's the feeling that I've gotten from talking to other decision makers within that conference is they were blindsided by this. I mean, it was only a week or so ago that they were on a call together talking about how a 12-team playoff could potentially benefit their league. And, you know, had you asked some of these people earlier in the week about – possible dissension within the league. And they would have said, you're crazy. Right. And, and now we're sitting here with this.
1: Yeah. It, it's out of nowhere. A big 12 source told Heather, ne- neither team had expressed any interest to leave officially to the rest of the conference membership. And that's a, a massive blow to that conference. And they would owe that conference upwards of $76 million a piece to buy out the remainder of their grant of the media rights agreement, which runs until 2025. Of course, whatever agreement they'd sign with the SEC would probably make that affordable, $76 million apiece. But a lot of fallout for the rest of college football. And this leading to a real sea change in college football. You take NIL rights, you take the fact that we're getting to some super conferences, and Booger McFarlane, our ESPN college football and NFL analyst, sees a totally different future on the horizon for college football.
4: Well, I think eventually it's going to happen. I, I, I also think that eventually college football is going to end up with these super conferences where you're going to have four, uh, four conferences, probably going to have 16, 18 teams, in it, and then we're just going to do away with the NCAA. I think that's eventually uh, where we're headed, uh, albeit probably 10 years from now. I, I think the thing that people want to know now is can this happen uh, in the relative future? I don't think it's going to happen soon. Uh, as in the next five years, but I do think that eventually that's what you're going to get, and it's not just going to be the SEC. I think the rest of the people in the Big Twelve are going to have to go somewhere, uh, you know. So maybe they go to the Pac-12, and eventually you're going to get four super conferences that are going to have 16, to 18 teams a piece. In it.
0: yeah,
1: it's uh, it's going to be pretty fast moving. At least it feels that way to me, and I know rarely are things in the NCAA and college football fast moving, but it sure feels like. This is going to happen. It's going to start a whole bunch of dominoes. Uh, so something to keep an eye on. We're going to talk to um, Nicole Auerbach uh, coming up in a little bit on the show. Get some more details on all of this. It's solo Spain and Fitz tonight. Ladies night. Got a bunch of ladies going to join me to talk about stuff here on Spain and Fitz. Uh One of the things I want to get into coming up is the announcement today officially from the former Cleveland Indians that their new name will be the Cleveland Guardians. And June Lee, ESPN MLB writer, was on Greeny today talking about how this is a long overdue decision and announcement for the city of Cleveland.
2: I mean, this should have happened a while ago. Like, I've been trying to avoid in, in writing, um, on Twitter, just generally conversations about Cleveland's baseball club and avoiding saying their, their team name and um, It's something that's been long overdue. I mean, Native American tribes and and activists have been speaking up about how the team uh, name and the Chief Wahoo logo in particular were offensive uh, for a long time. And, and, you know, it took it took the George Floyd um, kind of public unrest and and the killing of George Floyd uh, in order for kind of this discussion to really pop up again and for the the PR to get bad enough for uh, Cleveland to change their name. So this is a long overdue thing. Um, and I'm, I'm glad it's finally happening. And of course, kind of the focus shifts next to, to what Washington is going to do with our football club. Washington,
1: the Atlanta Braves and that incredibly racist chop that they do. Uh, certainly an eye on the Seminoles, the Blackhawks. There are a number of other places that may feel the pressure get a little hotter uh, or I guess uh, the the seat get a little hotter and the pressure get a little stronger. I'm mixing my metaphors uh, after Cleveland has made this decision, whether or not you agree with the name. I like the spiders myself, uh, but whether or not you agree with it, uh, certainly those who are on the side of needing to change it are happy. And we've heard a lot over the months from Ray Halbritter from the Oneida Nation. And he was on OTL talking about how they're just happy that this move was made.
4: This has been many years in the making, and we're very pleased to watch another professional sports organization move forward to make this change. The Cleveland baseball team, like the Washington football team, are choosing to stand on the right side of history and demonstrating that long-standing traditions denigrating Native Americans can give way to positive ways forward.
1: Yeah, we're going to get into more of this, and one of the concerns that I have about the new name and the new font that they used, we're going to talk about it coming up next, Spain & Fitz.
0: Spain & Fitz, the podcast.
1: He's getting information for tonight's Spain & Fitz. It is an all-ladies night, solo Spain on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I'll be giving you the straight talk all night, straight talk wireless, no contract, no compromise. And I I gave the straight talk today on Around the Horn when we were asked about the new Cleveland Guardians name. Now, let me start out by saying I commend them for doing the right thing. It was overdue, and I'm glad to see this change. I like the history of it. I think it's very cool that it's a reference to the statues on the bridge, the Guardians of Traffic. Beautiful art deco, you know, the kind of architecture you just don't see around these days anymore. So I'm cool with all of that. I just thought spiders would be cooler. And my biggest concern with the Guardians is they use the same font as the Indians. And the end of the, those two words are so similar. And you're going to call me crazy here, but if you crop off the first couple letters, you cut off the A in half, it looks like it says Indians. The back of the A, the R looks like an N. And I guarantee you that some of the pettiest and cruelest fans, the ones who did not want to see this change, We'll take advantage of that. I just don't know if you needed to be a little bit more specific. And in our conversations we've had on this show about the Washington football team, one of the things we've said is you need to get away from anything that could be skewed back to Native American culture and mascots. And my concern here is that they didn't do that enough. Uh, in fact, some people on my on my Twitter after I said that on Around the Horn said they've already seen people doing that. So um, maybe a little bit more of a departure in terms of the font and everything would have been smart. Maybe I'm wrong about how terrible human beings are, but unfortunately, unfortunately, I think I nailed that one. Uh, there was an intro video today. Tom Hanks reading it just perfectly, as always. Everything Tom Hanks, do, Tom Hanks does is great. But um, I'll, I'll play you what it sounded like. And it's over sweeping views of, of Cleveland, including those, those statues of the Guardians.
5: We are a city on the rise, forging into the future from our ironed out past. We are a city of fire and water, of trees and towers, built through generations of blue collars and the brightest scholars, and all of those who have worked harder. We hold tight to our roots and set our sights on tomorrow. And this is our team that has stood with our city for more than a century, from old municipal to the corner of Carnegie a team that has seen its own progress and prosperity. Its history flows like the river through the heart of this city, a history that has given us miraculous moments, moments that spanned years and others 22 games, moments that broke barriers and moments that broke hearts, moments that prove this is more than a game. We remember those moments as we move forward with change. You see, it has always been Cleveland, that's the best part of our name.
0: Fun time to Cleveland today. Cleveland. Come on down to Cleveland
1: Town, everyone. Hold on, hold on. How did that get in there? Let's get back to the video.
5: And now it's time to unite as one family, one community, to build the next era for this team and this city, to keep watch and guard what makes this game the greatest, to come together and welcome all who want to join us. We are loyal, and proud, and resilient. We protect what we've earned, and always defend it. Together, we stand with all who understand what it means to be born and built from the land. Because this is the city we love, and the game we believe in. And together, we are all Cleveland Guardians.
1: I promise I was not responsible for inserting the hastily made Cleveland tourism video. in. There. I don't I do not know how that happened because you guys know if it was me, it would have been the part where they say, come and look at both of our buildings, which is the best part of the song. It wasn't me. I'm just saying uh, it was a nice video rollout. There are still folks who have some issues with it. Uh, still folks who don't see it quite separating itself enough from some of the problems of the past. Uh, but again, I, I at least commend the act. And uh, and looking forward to seeing how we get used to it. As Tony Reale said today on Around the Horn, it is worth noting that teams like the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers, if we heard those names right now introduced as the new name of a team, I don't think we would be over the moon. So the Guardians isn't bad. It's no spiders, but it's not bad. Solo Spain tonight on Spain and Fitz, represented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget, tune into an interleague battle tomorrow night as the Brewers host the White Sox. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Curious what you guys think of the rollout and the logo. I think the the logo of the G with the wings to me... Somebody pointed this out on Twitter. It really does look like the old flying toaster screensaver. And I I understand if you're young, you have no idea what I'm talking about. If I utter the words after dark 2.0, most of you will just be blinking wide-eyed at me like, huh? But if you're old enough, you remember the screensavers of yore. There's a kind of simple nostalgia that comes to me when I think of the flying toaster screensaver and that's what the new logo for the Cleveland Guardians looks like. Someone also said it looks like the hat that the girl in Adventures in Babysitting wears. Spot on. All of these are accurate. Uh, I look forward to some of the spins on this that people get. Guardians of the Galaxy going to get a lot of play out of this. Um, you know, clips on the JumboTron, crossover highlights, uh, and maybe they're I don't know what a mascot for Guardians is going to be. Maybe they could work in that little raccoon guy. I don't know. Might as well lean into it. Uh, But I'm going to ask you guys, we'll put it up at Spain and fits at Sarah Spain. When I had to break, I'll put up a little poll, see what you guys are thinking about the logo and the new name for Cleveland. That's not the only baseball news. Um, We also saw yet another bad night for Kenley Jansen and the Dodgers and the giants. We talked about this last night, first team in baseball, the 60 wins, best record in baseball. They take that series from the Dodgers and keep asserting themselves. And, uh, you guys know this. Everyone's got a cousin from Boston who forgets their wallet at dinner but never forgets a sixer of refreshing Sam Adams. Cheers to that. The Boston Beer Company, Boston Mass, savored the flavor responsibly. Sam Adams is telling you what to watch for, and we're watching for Will Middlebrooks today after he said this last night on this show about Kenley Jansen.
4: Kenley Jansen, him getting
6: booed last night, that was disappointing. <laughs> That's disappointing. He leads the franchise in saves with like 333 saves. And you're booing him. He had a 1.2 ERA in the first half. And he blew the he's blown the first two saves
4: of the second half. And you're booing this guy. He's 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 been a dodger his whole career. Like,
5: come on. Swing. Live drive to right field, and in front of the diving McKinney, Vossler scores right behind the Estrada. He scores. It's five to three Giants. Incredibly. Lightning has struck twice. They have come from behind for the second night in a row against the great Dodger closer, Kenley Jansen.
1: Ah, yes, that's from KNBR. So now that makes it three straight blown saves for Kenley Jansen. I'm still not panicking. I don't think anyone needs to rethink who the closer is for the Dodgers. And as June Lee today said... It's not really a Dodgers season if people aren't frantically panicking about whether or not Kenley Jansen is still their closer. I mean, he's no Craig Kimbrell is all I'm saying. That That's all I'm saying. But I think he's all right for now. The Dodgers, on the other hand, some question marks around the defending champions. And today on Around the Horn, as Bill Plaschke of the LA Times noted Dodger homer, guy who said they were going to be the best team in the history of baseball at the start of this season and couldn't be talked off of the pedestal of Dodgers being the greatest ever. Uh, He had some things to say today, and I had some things to say to him on Around the Horn.
4: They're going to make a big trade at the deadline, and, and it might as well be sure. Do you Don't think they they're going to, or you think they
6: should? I think they should. Oh, they have to. Okay. They, they need yeah. two starting pitchers. The window's closing. They, they need a stud starting pitcher. Scherzer's sure out there. Sarah, I, I know what's on your mind right now. Give it to them, please. Come on, we're
7: here. I
1: just I just wanted to know if you updated your prediction for 118 wins. Window's closing now? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was the uh, oh, yeah. best team ever.
0: Oh, Bill, yeah. oh, <laughs> look at this. Uh, you're wearing it right now, though. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: Now, listen, I know what's coming. You're going to tell me my Cubs suck and they're going to be sellers and I'm going to lose the core of the World Series. I know that, okay? I already know that. It doesn't mean I can't make fun of Bill Plaschke and the 118 wins. (sighs) I think they got to go like 56-5 and for the rest of the season to hit it. Not going to happen. And today, Javi Baez hit a homer, bringing home Rizzo and Bryant. And as I saw those two waiting at the plate to give him a high five, all three of them together, honestly, a tear started to come. It's not going to be pretty when that ends. Coming up, we're going to tell you the latest on Texas, Oklahoma, and the SEC. It's next.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: You can't put this on on a Friday and then expect me to do a show instead of just listening to the song for several minutes. That's just not a thing that can happen. Just dancing alone in my closet. It's solo Spain. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Guests are going to join me on the Goodyear Hotline. All ladies tonight, a ladies' night Friday here on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Joining me now, senior college football writer for The Athletic, Nicole Auerbach, always does a fantastic job and a very busy lady over the last couple of days. Nicole, this move from Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC, which now seems imminent, sources telling ESPN it'll be done in a couple of weeks was not even on the minds of anyone a couple days ago. They were showing up for a variety of meetings and things, never tipping their cap and, and acting like they were fully invested in the Big 12. That's uh, as big a story to me as leaving is just the way they're doing it.
6: It, it is that way um, for a lot of people in college sports, too. I think that's one of been, been one of the most surprising parts. Um, you know, I was talking to someone in, in the Big 12 earlier today, and they were just, like, replaying all of these, moments of the last six months thinking oh so they were doing this this whole time so everything that they were saying was they were looking at it in a different light and i think back to about playoff expansion big 12 commissioner bob bullsby and sec commissioner greg sankey were in this four-person working group that came up with this 12 team model and you know, as they're working through this, as they're saying why well, it's going to help the sport, you've got to be thinking now looking back, Greg you. thinking, well, I'm going to take, you know, the two biggest brands from your league, and that's going to position us really well in that 12-team format. And you're probably thinking if you're Bob Boulsey, we're going to 12. We're going to have access every year. This is really great for the Big 12. It probably stabilizes us, right? So you think back about all these things that have happened over the last few months, And you really got to look at it in a different light. I think there's a lot of people that have had relationships, you know, with the Big 12, with Oklahoma, with Texas, um, that are, you know, like relationships and friendships in this business are going to be affected by these moves and the way that they're coming and the way that, you know, it, it shocked so many people to find out just this week that there was something in the works.
1: Nicole, I saw you tweeting out the Big Ten – sorry, the Big 12 will retain its designation as an autonomy five conference despite losing two members. You said that is significant. Do you think it's enough for the remaining eight to want to stick together, or does this blow up the Big 12?
6: That's the part that no one really knows right now, um, because I think, you know, if you're one of those eight schools, you've got to look around and see what's best for you. And I think you've seen a couple of those statements from presidents – um, of those schools, just saying like, hey, to their fans, like, hey, we're gonna do what's best for us. Um, you obviously have a grant of rights that they're tied to as well, which is part of the issue in terms of timing for Texas and Oklahoma's departure. Um, but they're 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 adhering to that as well. But so I think you know you've got to do your due diligence and look around. You've got to obviously. Talk to each other and potentially stay together because you do keep that Power Five Conference moniker and all of the weighted voting and all the pieces that come with it, you know, from an NCAA standpoint. Um, you know, I know that they've all had conversations in their call last night about, you know, potential expansion and who they could target. Um, I, I think there's a lot of different ways that this could go. And I think because people were so blindsided, um, you know, a lot of it's just speculation right now. I think the American conference is going to try to be aggressive in talking to those last eight. But are those eight going to then also try to talk to American conference teams, right? Like, there's a lot of different directions that this can go. Um, and, again, I think in an individual basis, those eight schools are also going to see if they could jump ship somewhere. Because if, if we have learned anything from conference realignment in years past, there's this great fear of inaction and there's this great fear of being the last one left behind Um, You know, someone I was speaking to earlier, a high-ranking administrator, was saying no one wants to be UConn of this round of realignment. And, you know, that's where you see some of the moves that maybe don't make a ton of logical sense, but it's someone trying to be proactive. Um, So, you know, that's where you get things that are going to throw a wrench into anything that seems logical moving forward. But I also think because this is such a shocker, it's going to take weeks and months um, for, for things to shake out in terms of, you know, if the Big 12 stays together. If it if it you know kind of disintegrates, what it looks like, who goes after who, it's going to take some time for for the dust to settle there.
1: Nicole Auerbach, senior college football writer for the Athletic, with me here on Spain and Fitz on a solo Spain Ladies' Night on Friday. Nicole, I think we know the worst case scenario here for the Big Twelve would be disintegration and all the teams dispersing. What's the worst case scenario for the SEC if this indeed happens?
6: Well, I, I think um, you know for the SEC, there. There, there isn't a ton of a downside. I mean, I think, obviously, you know, if you have an option, if you have a possibility of getting Texas and Oklahoma, you're, you're trying to take it. But the SEC also doesn't need to do this. You know, the SEC is really well positioned in the current CFP era and for a 12-team model. Um, I, I think the next questions are going to be about scheduling and pods and, and trying to, you know, strengthen things like that. Um, but, you know, it's going to you know, go even further into recruiting into Texas, which they're already able to do for a and Um, But I think, you know, in terms of like a worst case scenario, there really isn't one for the SEC because, you know, you're already coming at this from a position of strength. I think the the two things that come to mind, though, are, you know, making sure that the relationship between Texas and A&M and A&M and the rest of the SEC is okay, um, because obviously this is something that A&M does not want to happen. And if it does happen, you've got to work on those relationships and repairing that and, and making sure that that can be smooth enough. Um, moving forward in the same league again. Um, and then also I think, you know, just with college football at large, um, you know, a lot of the conversations I've had in the last 48 hours have just been sort of about, like, what's best for college sports? What's best for college football? Is the idea of, um, you, know, you know, having a 16-team league, is that good for college football? Um, is, is, you know, adding powerhouse programs to already a league that has a lot of powerhouse programs Um, And it's going to continue to dominate recruiting more and more. Is that going to be good for college football? And, you know, I think you've got to think about some of that and just, um, you know, make sure that some of these measures, which we we know there's a lot of money at stake um, and there's prestige and all of these pieces are part of the puzzle. But I think figuring out some of those other pieces um, about why there was fatigue and disengagement in the college football playoff era that was so dominated by Alabama and Clemson and a couple of teams You've got to figure out ways to guard against that and just not make the SEC an NFL junior and really alienate the rest of the country from the sport. So there, that's kind of like a macro issue, I think, coming out of this. But it's something that people will need to figure out how, how to, you know, take something like this that, um, you know, brings power to a region that already has a lot of power, bring top-ranked recruits to a region that already gets the best players in the country – how to spin that forward, how to make it okay for the rest of the sport um, and not just kind of suck the life out of it.
1: Nicole back with me here on Spain and Fitz, senior college football writer for The Athletic. Obviously, A&M probably the most mad individually within the SEC because they had – Believe that they were promised to be the only Texas team, and it certainly affects their yeah. recruiting probably more so than anybody else. I want to quickly play you something. Booger McFarlane, our ESPN College Football and NFL analyst, said uh, about this happening and then what could lead to uh, what this could lead to in college football.
4: Well, I think eventually it's going to happen. Now, I, I, I also think that eventually college football is going to end up with these super conferences where you're going to have four, uh, four conferences, probably going to have 16, 18 teams, it, and then we're just going to do away with the NCAA. I think that's eventually uh, where we're headed, uh, albeit probably 10 years from now. I I think the thing that people want to know now is, can this happen uh, in the relative future? I don't think it's going to happen soon uh, as in the next five years, but I do think that eventually that's what you're going to get. And it's not just going to be the SEC. I think the rest of the people in the Big 12 are going to have to go somewhere, uh, you know, so maybe they go to the Pac-12, and eventually you're going to get four super conferences that are going to have 16 to 18 teams apiece in it.
1: Do you agree with most of what he said, any of what he said, none of what he said?
6: Uh, you know, it's it's just hard to predict right now. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's really going to come down to what ends up happening with the Big 12 here because that can either accelerate some of these mega conferences um, or if they decide to, if those eight teams stick together and add teams like that sort of stabilizes some things. Just because the SEC goes to 16, I don't think that immediately means that everybody else has to go to mega conferences. Um, But certainly, like, these are leagues that we have seen just continue to grow and grow and get into more and more regions. So it's not out of the question. Um, But it is very interesting that all of this is happening at a time that the NCAA has, um, you know, is talking about decentralizing power and, you know, Uh didn't lead on during the pandemic. It didn't lead – you know, the, it's efforts. you know, it just got nine, nothing. The Supreme court ruled against it and, and it didn't get things done on the NIL front. Um, and, and some of these, these other factors are happening as well while you have these power conferences and those commissioners grabbing a lot of power and, and really asserting their control over the sport. They've already been more influential and powerful than the NCAA president, but you're seeing that play out in a lot of different ways um, on an almost daily basis at this point. So I think it's too soon to predict exactly how this is going to shake out. But I think, you know, we have seen the NCAA um, kind of lessen its hold on, you know, its its voice in the sport. And and this is already in college football, a sport that is controlled by the college football playoff and not the NCAA. It doesn't control the postseason, and that's how this thing gets divided. So I think there was already a perception that as the playoffs, Expands, grows bigger, um, makes more money. It was already, you know, kind of lessening the the need for the NCAA, at least in that sport. Um, and and I think you know you're just going to continue to see that. But you know, Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, has been one of, if not the most influential uh, player in college sports for a few years, especially with with the new commissioners uh, at, at other py- power five conferences. So all of this is kind of a continuation of where this stuff has been headed over the last few years, but pulling off, um, you know, the addition of Texas and Oklahoma, again, while people did not expect it while you were maneuvering about playoff expansion on the first place, you know, it is a pretty big power move. So we'll see how this goes, but I don't want to make any predictions until we see what happens with the rest of the Big Perfect.
1: That seems to make sense based on the last couple of days. Uh, Nicole, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it.
6: Absolutely. Anytime.
1: Nicole Auerbach with us here on Spain & Fitz, brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, we're going to check in with an NFL camp, see how they're reacting to the latest COVID memo. It's next.
0: You're listening to the Spain & Fitz podcast.
1: On a Friday, solo Spain, Spain & Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Still figuring out how I'm going to do sports Tinder by myself, uh, but I think that's what most of you are doing usually, sitting at home alone. Swiping, making bad decisions. I'll figure it out by the time the show ends. ESPN radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at progressive.com or one-eight hundred progressive. It is wild to say this as we just saw the end of the NBA finals. Uh, you know, we got hockey drafts and NBA drafts coming up. We got baseball, we got Olympics, but training camps have started for a couple teams. NFL training camps. We are nearing School coming back and the fall and football season. And in order to get an idea of what's happening over at Steelers Camp, our ESPN Steelers reporter, Brooke Pryor, joins me now on the Goodyear Hotline. Brooke, thanks for the time.
8: Yeah, of course. I had to take a break from getting my sunburn on out at Steelers Camp (laughs) because it feels like we're still very far away from fall, but it's right around the corner.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, around the corner, but also still 1,000 degrees in most places of the country. Uh, I saw you the other day on ESPN comparing Ben Roethlisberger to Taylor Swift, and I need to hear the connection here. Where where are we going with this this connection?
8: Look, we know Taylor Swift loves an Easter egg. She loves to hide clues for all her fans. Ben Roethlisberger showed up to camp wearing a shirt that said different. I think he was trying to send a message – I found out that the shirt was from a friend, Micah Tyler, who's a contemporary Christian artist, referencing a song that he had. But look, the song is from 2017. Tell me why Ben (laughs) just reached in his drawer and threw that on. It's not like it was a brand new shirt or anything. So, yes, gift from a friend, promoting a friend, but I think he's trying to send a little message here.
1: Well, he does need to be different in order for this team to have success. I personally, not to pat myself on the back, but I saw a lot of those wins last year early on as pretty empty. I didn't fear them as a team despite their record. And what we saw was a lot of the offense needing to go through a guy who didn't have the ability to throw the ball deep and was really limited last year. What are the expectations for Roethlisberger
9: this year?
8: I think the hope is that he'll be able to get more out of his elbow this year. You know, This time a year ago, he had already thrown thousands of balls just as he was rehabbing that elbow from the surgery that he had in 2019. And so he's coming into this camp a little bit fresher. I think the hope is that his health overall is much improved. And, I mean, we saw at times last year that he was really, really struggling, especially late in the season, seeing his arm getting massaged on the sideline. And so I think that there is an expectation and an understanding that they will still need to have – more of those quick passes, those short passes, but if he can just prolong his health and keep some of the strain off, his, off of his elbow with a balanced offensive attack, then he can still have some of those deep passes.
1: Brooke Pryor is with me here on Spain and Fit, solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio. As I was just looking over the depth chart, thinking to myself, not only are there question marks about Roethlisberger's age and health and how many games the backups might need to play, but you also have three quarterbacks in that room that all have some very unique and interesting challenges on and off the field between Roethlisberger's past. You have Mason Rudolph, who's had incidents on the field and question marks off of it for some of his stuff. And then Dwayne Haskins, who not only has a reputation to sort of fix from how everything went down in Washington, but that recent domestic violence incident um, at the hands of his fiance. This just feels like a very strange quarterback room. Does it feel that way to you in covering it?
8: No, it definitely does. I mean, these are quarterbacks that have kind of all come together from these different situations. And I feel like the Steelers brought in Dwayne Haskins in lieu of drafting a quarterback this year. And, you know, it's one of those low, low risk, high reward signings, because if this doesn't work out, they're not using a whole lot of cap space on him. And if it doesn't work out, then they have a former, you know, first round pick adding to the mix, ready to take over whenever Ben Roethlisberger is done likely after this season. But there is no clear successor here, knowing how late Ben Roethlisberger is in his career. So the Steelers are really gambling with a lot here. Mason Rudolph, the only quarterback under contract for next season. So, I mean, all of these guys have something to prove, and I think that it makes it really interesting to watch. And even on a day like today, Ben Roethlisberger didn't take very many reps in the team uh, in the team period. that all went to Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins, and Mike Tomlin told me, That's because those are the guys that we're going to see in the Hall of Fame game. And so he wanted to get a better look at them. But I think we're going to see a lot of that going forward just to try to get a better sense and a better feeling for how this room is going to come together.
1: Brooke Pryor, our ESPN Steelers reporter here on Spain and Fit Solo Spain tonight. Any any responses from some of the players around the Steelers and coaches to the COVID memo from the NFL about unvaccinated players and forfeits?
8: Well, you know how Mike Tomlin is. He is all business all the time. So when we asked him about it yesterday, he said, look, that is a box that we have checked. And honestly, that is that he's not just, you know, blowing smoke or blowing off the question here. He has always been a guy that his message to his players is don't be the guy. And that's what he says when they, you know, go on bye week or last year during COVID, during all those protocols. Don't be the guy that ruins it for the rest of the team. Don't be the guy that jeopardizes something for your teammates. And so you have to assume that is the same message that he was giving his players in regards to the vaccine. And so I, from what I understand, the Steelers have a very high participation rate in getting the vaccine. Devin Bush actually Instagrammed right after he got it during mini camp. So I think that the Steelers are one of those teams that accept that, hey, this is a thing that we need to do. It helps our competitive advantage. It helps our team. Um, and I don't see any real issues. Nobody is going off on Twitter about it. It's not a huge topic of conversation in the locker room, other than an understanding and a buy-in that it's something that, that many have done and, and a few more still need to get done. But I think that they have all accepted that it's it's a necessary thing they have to do this season.
1: It's Spain and Fitz, solo Spain on a Friday. Talking to Brooke Pryor about the Steelers camp, uh, just a couple minutes left here, Brooke. Uh, what are the expectations for this team after kind of a strange last season?
8: Well, if you talk to people in Pittsburgh, the expectation is a Super Bowl. I mean, I saw uh, my husband actually sent me uh, a link to a page that was made. It's the Savenge the Tour, a revenge of seven to go chase the seventh Super Bowl ring for Ben Roethlisberger to get another ring. Uh, the expectations here always very high. I think realistically it's to make it back to the playoff. Um, ideally they would not like to lose again in the, in the first round of playoffs, especially to the Browns. But I mean, this team has really gone all in once again on building around Ben Roethlisberger, being able to bring back a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster uh, on a one-year deer on a one-year year deal, adding Melvin Ingram on the defensive side, adding Trey Turner. So they are, you know, they have pieces for the future in guys like T.J. Watt and Najee right. Harris, but yeah. with Ben Roethlisberger nearing the end of his career, they really want to be able to go out and go out in a way that he go can feel big, proud of, that he big can question feel like mark, he didn't though, leave anything.
1: Yeah, it's a big question right, mark because right. of his age. Hey, Brooke, thanks for the time. Enjoy camp.
8: Absolutely. Thanks, Sarah.
1: Brooke Pryor giving us all the Steelers intel. We're going to flip over now to Jessica Mendoza coming up next to talk about the Olympics
0: you're listening to the spain and fitz podcast
1: happy friday everybody solo spain friday here on spain and fitz Fitz is working the early shift again today so i invited a whole bunch of gals to hang out with me for a little ladies night on this friday don't forget summer games news and notes is brought to you by california almonds representing your country or representing your trivia team almonds are natural fuel for the best you california almonds own your everyday everyday Speaking of representing your country, our next guest knows a little something about that. ESPN MLB analyst, part of NBC's Olympics coverage softball legend, Jessica Mendoza from Tokyo on the Goodyear Hotline. Jess, what's going on? There's Spain! Hi! I can't believe we made it work all the way in Tokyo with your Tokyo cell phone. Okay, I want to ask you about important stuff, but I have to start where everybody has started in their interviews with folks out in Tokyo. How's the food? Are you finding places to eat that you like and and, and really doing it up right out there?
9: Well, I, I feel like I've been blessed because I landed about a week ago and I got to head straight north of Fukushima for four days. I'm back in Tokyo now, but... There's the soft quarantine when you land where you can't leave the hotel unless you're going to the venue. But we were able to travel the countryside, um, me and my crew, to to do softball. We've actually, we're two softball games in already even before opening ceremony. So we were able to head north in the countryside and go to some, you know, get some sake, go see all the different (laughs) sushi chefs. I mean, we were able to really um, kind of see a part of Japan that I think most people haven't been able to do, especially being able to travel that far north.
1: I'm guessing out in Japan, it's not standard and custom to say one, two, three, four, I declare a sake war and then hit the table and then the sake falls (laughs) into your beer. Is that just just me? Okay, just making sure. Um, Yeah, I I, I left that out. (laughs) (laughs) You <laughs> love that out. Okay. My 20s really enjoyed that part of the uh, lining up your chopsticks and dropping the drink. I've been watching the softball. Really fun so far. And one of the coolest parts for an old head like me and you too, no offense, is I'm watching Monica Abbott and Kat Osterman lead the way on the mound. Women that I have to admit, I didn't know for sure they were
9: still going to be at it in this Olympics. Yeah, I know it's it's crazy. I actually was saying that the other night where I'm like, These are baby girls, like Kat Osterman was my roommate fresh out of high school, Sarah. Like so just wrap your mind fresh out of high school. She was my roommate on that O four Olympic team, and I mean she was green, she was young, she was a baby, you know, and here she is, thirty eight years old, leading the squad. She's the old lady, she's the vet, they're all calling her grandma, and I'm just like <laughs> sitting back and chunk chuckling but I mean honestly thank goodness they've got those two I mean they're a talented group but I'm telling you what I mean Kat and Monica each want to know they've gotten both the wins for Team USA when the offense hasn't scored a lot of runs so thank goodness they got the old ladies huh
1: <laughs> yeah no kidding and as Diana Taurasi said old people have dreams too so uh, we we respect that <laughs> uh jess mendoza with us here on spain and fitz espn mlb analyst part of nbc's olympic coverage to your point in the first two games they've won two nothing and one nothing that pitching has been huge they are the number one seed what do they need to do to get that offense going and who are the teams that are going to be the biggest problem if they can't get
9: the offense going uh, well, they're they're playing Mexico today, um, and I, I'm by the way Saturday, so I'm in, I'm coming from you in, in the future, so Wonderful. I'm gonna let you know what's gonna happen on Saturday <laughs> when
1: everyone wakes up. Yeah. <laughs> Will I have a hangover uh,
9: this, on Saturday? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is this is what's gonna. Yeah, exactly. Your head's gonna hurt. Um, maybe lay off. I'm just gonna give you some forewarning of the bum. You. I'll lay off the um, today. But it, yeah, no, I <clears throat> it's, it's gonna be Australia and Japan who they play. Sunday and Monday here. It's actually the back end of the pool play, which is kind of perfect, leading into the medal round. And really, Sarah, what I see is just, you know, the nerves. And as much as we talk about the veterans, the two, Monica and Kat, they're both on the pitching staff. So there's no one on this offense that's been here before. And you're talking 13 years since Mm. the sport has been on this stage. And as much as they've played international uh, competition, they've played, you know, big college stages, I mean, there is nothing like the Olympic games. And you hear that, of course, but you have no way to prepare for it till you're in it. So I, I see a tight offense is, I think, going to continue to loosen up. But honestly, like if I were to give them a pep talk, it'd be like, hey, you're number one in the world. Act like it. Show it. <laughs> Show up in the bats. your approach. I feel like there's a tib in this and not necessarily a doubt, but definitely like lacking that that ego that the Team USA's I played on in the past definitely had.
1: Jessica Mendoza with me here on a solo ladies night here on Spain and Fitz. She joins me on the Goodyear Hotline from Tokyo at the Olympics. Now, you won gold in Athens, a silver in Beijing, and then there was a break for a while in Olympic softball. Have you talked to some of your counterparts or maybe the youngsters on those teams that were disappointed and maybe it's a little bittersweet to see it return now when they've aged out of being able to be on the team?
9: Yeah, I mean it's it's sad because there were definitely an entire generation of really talented softball players that will never play on this stage, and this is the pinnacle for us, Sarah. I mean, I wish we had the pro league. We do have a pro league, you know, it's it's there in Chicago actually with Athletes Unlimited that yeah. just has really gotten Was going. Bandits, but it's nothing, now yeah, yeah, no, and, and there's nothing compared to what the Olympic Games brings to the sport. So you have these generational greats of softball that most people will never know their names because they weren't able to play on this stage. And that hurts my heart because we were able to have these golden years from 96, thousand oh four to 08, starting with Dr. Richardson and Lisa Fernandez, and then, you know, getting all the way through Beijing and then just kind of ended. And here we have this Island of time, this moment of time where it's in the Olympic games after 13 years of absence. And the next time softball could even be in the Olympics is so seven years from now, in L.A., if they choose, it's already been decided it will not be in Paris. So it's it's really difficult when you look at just the athletes even on this team now that they realize this is probably their only opportunity to play on the biggest stage for the sport.
1: Jessica Mendoza with me here live from Tokyo. You know, we talked on Around the Horn today about watching the opening ceremonies and seeing the sort of disconnect between the beauty of the presentation, the excitement of the athletes, but then silence, right? There wasn't the crazy crowd response to the home team uh, or I guess home country walking in, when it got quiet enough, you could hear the protests outside. In talking to the the softball players or any other athletes that you've seen out there, how much are they able to focus and try to make this as much about what they do on the field or in the pool or anything like that, and less about the COVID issues and safety concerns, the protocols, the the, the Tokyo you know, public that's not wanting them to be there? How can they separate that?
9: I think it helps when you're living in the village, honestly, it's one big party, Sarah, like, let's be real. Like, it's like 10,000 athletes. And yeah, (laughs) well, I don't know if it's one big party. I shouldn't say that, but you're, you're inside a village of people that are the same as you in the sense that this is what they've prepared for, for years and years of their life, the training, the focus, you know, you're getting meals with them. You're talking, you're meeting athletes from Brazil or Korea. I mean, all over the world, Africa and, and then you go out and compete like you're you're in a bubble a huge amazing massive athlete bubble with the most beautiful humans in the world you're not paying attention to the news you're not paying attention to all the noise that's outside of it guaranteed I mean not only have you prepared for this and you're focused on the competition but you're also just enjoying being here at the Olympic Games and a big part of that I mean Sarah besides winning a gold medal my number one memory is the village and the people and just, you know, being able to walk around and, and literally talk. I remember sitting down with athletes in Iraq after we had declared war with that country. I mean, could you imagine being able to travel the world like in that time? You couldn't. And yet you can within this village. And I know I'm getting super like, no, I you love know, it. with, with all so that. I can't tell you how amazing the village is in that space. So, yes, yeah, there's a whole lot going on that we're paying attention to. Guaranteed the athletes are not.
1: I do remember your fondest memory from the village was a specific male athlete from another country. But we're out of time, so we can't get into the specifics yeah, about, yeah, about we don't any
9: of that. Awkward moment. Okay. Uh-huh.
1: Jess, thank you for the time. Enjoy Tokyo. Keep crushing the coverage. been so fun to watch.
9: Sarah, yes, awesome. We'll have to do this again before the gold medal game. Absolutely. Let's do it. The great
1: Jessica Mendoza covering uh, Olympics for NBC and one of our ESPN MLB analysts with me here on Ladies Night on Spain and Fitz. It rolls on, talking Simone Biles and the gymnasts coming up next with Alyssa Ronek.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Ladies Night here on Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain and a handful of guests joining me on this Friday. Fitz is off uh, work in the morning shift again, cheating on me with another easy slot. happens a lot. I'm used to it by now. But thank goodness I got the gals. And joining me now, one of my faves, ESPN senior writer, Alyssa Roenick, to talk all things Simone Biles and the gymnastics in Tokyo. And Alyssa, I have to say, this piece on uh, .com that you're a part of explaining a couple different sports and the moves that they do, it's a a skateboarder, it's a surfer, and and it's a gymnast, Simone Biles. The visuals on it are so
3: incredible. It's, yeah, it's, it, I will say it took a village, um, a literal village. I think if you count the number of names at the bottom of that story. But, yeah, and we worked really closely with the athletes themselves and their coaches and their teams. And we had an animator and multiple designers and photo and video. And it is, it is one of the coolest things I've seen on our site. It's, it's pretty neat. And you can, you know, the, the, as a reader, you can control it and move it and flow it back forth, backwards and forward. And, yeah, it's, it's pretty
2: awesome
1: it's pretty incredible you can find it on the dot-com uh the headline is for their next move and it's uh three athletes and their groundbreaking moves and yeah the visuals are really incredible sort of like a cgi simone biles showing you the yurchenko double pike vault uh one of the things i saw in the um in the coverage of this is that she nailed it in training and practice, best one she's ever done. So are we even more enthusiastic about Simone absolutely crushing this move that's never been done before and that is scored on a men's scale of points?
3: Yeah, I mean, during uh, during what they call podium training, when you get your first chance to, to train on the actual apparatus that you'll use in the meet, um, I, I think we were all sort of wondering if she was going to do some of these. And, I mean, she did the double-double off off beam, she did both vials on floor, and then she did the Yurchenko double pike or the YDP. And it was, I mean, the height she gets, and something that I had forgotten about because we don't cover as much men's gymnastics as we probably should, is in when work in working on this tech, that technique story was that you know the men's the men vault on the same table, but the men's table is set four inches higher. So when you're watching her, you know, it's it's really nice to watch a men's meet and then watch Simone go because she actually gets higher off the table than a majority of the men and she's starting four inches lower wow. than they are. It's unbelievable. Yeah, the one she did the other night was it was pretty banger. It was it was it was awesome.
1: Uh, Alyssa Roenick is with me here on Spain and Fitz on a solo Spain night. I saw another story came out yesterday midway through the show uh, of a lot of the new moves being debuted, a couple of them by Americans, a couple by uh, gymnasts from other countries. Can you talk a little bit about the expectations? It seems like maybe five new moves that could be named after the athletes who do them in Tokyo.
3: There are. So there's there's a couple cool, like very innovative spin moves I think we're going to see. I don't even remember what it added, an 1,800, uh, I I think it was five spins. No, I can't even remember. Um, On floor. uh, And the one one really we should be incredibly excited about is by another American gymnast. And Saturday, you know, they're going to be competing for the first time in qualifiers. And, you know, one of the things to watch is that only two besides the team trying to qualify into – the team final, which we can be pretty certain they're going to be one of the top eight teams, is all of the athletes are trying to qualify into individual finals. And so, those, and, and because of what, what is called the two per country rule, only two athletes per country get to qualify for the individual all around, for the floor, for the vault. And we have six gymnasts who have a real, like, are, could arguably have a shot at the floor final. And Jade Carey, who was our plus one athlete who qualified in through the world cup apparatus series is planning to debut a skill that we've only seen her do once to a mat. Uh, she, and that is a triple double and it's very similar to Simone's except it's a laid out triple double. So if you think of what Simone's doing in the tucked position, Jade will be doing in a laid out position. So wow. three spins, two fully laid out slips and You know, if and the question is, when is she going to do it? Is she going to do it in qualification and get herself into that into that final and and risk it or is she going to save it? So that's something we're all waiting to see on on Saturday night. Melissa Ronick
1: is with me here on Spain and Fitz ESPN senior writer covers a lot of the gymnastics. You know, we talked about this when I hosted ESPN Daily. The international government body for gymnastics already decided that they're going to return to five member teams for 2024 before they even competed this new format. So very clearly people not necessarily a big fan. Let me follow up on what you said about the two. So even if the U.S. had the six best floor competitors in the world, they could only send two to the final?
3: Yeah, so that's one of the really stressful parts of the qualification round, which is happening on Saturday. And if you think back, to a great example is in London in 2012, you have Jordan Weber. She's the reigning world champion. Everyone expects her to be in that all-around final and try to follow up a world championship with an all-around. And uh, Allie Raisman and Gabby Douglas have incredible nights. She makes a couple of mistakes, and she ends up the third-best gymnast in the world that day, but she was also the third best American gymnast in the world that day, and she mm. did not get a chance mm. to compete in the all-around. And so, for a lot of countries, this is not—you know, this is the the idea of it is meant to you know keep the United States and, and big, powerful countries from sending everyone into the finals, and and other countries not having a chance. It's you know it's supposed to be a little more equitable, but it is devastating and stressful when you why see why would the Olympics be for sure.
1: Why? I don't get it. I really don't. Isn't this supposed to be the best in the world? So if you have the three best and they should all be bronze, you know, silver, gold, why wouldn't that be okay? That's what the point of the Olympics is.
3: That is a very good question. I think every gymnastics writer has written a column about it at some point (laughs) in her career. And certainly in 2012, I mean, the idea that the reigning world champion and the third best in the world is not given a shot into the final. And I mean, I will never forget watching, watching Jordan, you know, tears in her eyes, just saying like, can't they change the rule? Can't they mm. change the rule? You know, this, no, this can't be happening. And so I agree with you, I think. And that was the idea behind smaller teams. These plus one spots was to make this more fair to the, to the world. And, you know, I don't know. I, I can hear my dad in my ear when I was a little kid, you know, if you about to say it's about fair, it's like, why is it supposed to be fair? It's sports. Yeah. Like, just this go is a out
1: meritocracy.
2: Go out and earn
1: it. Yeah, that, that uh, go out, that's yeah. very, very frustrating. Alyssa Ronick with me here on Spain and Fit. Solo Spain tonight. Just uh, about two more minutes here, so I wanted to quickly ask you, we're all going to be watching Simone, and we've, we've got a lot of storylines on her. What is another storyline we should be paying attention to in the gymnastics, men's or women's?
3: Well, I'm going to stick with the U.S. team, and I already mentioned Jade Carey, so I'm going to take you to Suni Lee who is one of my most favorite athletes to watch. She's just, you know, if you have the chance to watch her on bars, to watch her on beans, she is a tactician. She is beautiful and elegant, and she does arguably the hardest bars routine in the world. She's the first Hmong American to make the Olympics in any sport, and she has an incredible, supportive, and massive extended family uh, back home in St. Louis that or sorry back home in St. Paul the twin cities that is going to be pulling for her and I know there are among people all over the world who are looking to SUNY nee as this example and they're really excited about the fact that the world maybe perhaps will know a bit more about them and their culture and their people because she's on the world stage. But but if you just take it down to her gymnastics, I, I think that she is, she is probably who we're going to see as that second spot in the individual all around. She's she's fantastic.
1: If, if I remember correctly from the trial, she was like 26 to 26 without a mistake, right? So, you know,
3: without just, a mistake. It, and on incredible. Sunday, she was the first person in eight years. To right. To beat Simone. Simone. In it.
1: Yeah. Unbelievable. I'm so excited for it. I can't wait. And I can't wait for your
3: coverage. Uh, thanks. <laughs> so much
1: for the time Alyssa
3: yeah thanks Sarah for having
1: me on Alyssa Roenick ESPN senior writer follow her on Twitter she has such great insight on this stuff does great work on it gonna be so fun to watch Simone finally get after it and the rest of that team Jory Epstein gonna join me next to talk about the Cowboys camp
0: Spain and Fits the podcast
1: that's right. It's a ladies' night on Spain and Fitz on a Fry yay Solo Spain on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We talked to Brooke Pryor about Steelers camp. Cowboys also underway. Again, hard to believe that we are nearing uh, really hardcore NFL time as the camps get underway and we get ready for the season. But it's happening. And joining me now to talk about it, NFL reporter and USA Today Cowboys reporter Jory Epstein. Jory, thanks for the time.
7: Thanks for having me on, Sarah. Excited to talk here from Oxnard.
1: I want to talk first about the unusually emotional Jerry Jones on the verge of tears talking about a couple different topics, the main one being just how much he wants to win. Does it feel like maybe he knows his window is closing in terms of his age and his duration as an owner and his opportunities to go out and get that elusive title?
7: Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, this team has not even been to the conference championships since the 95 season and Jerry is 78 years old. He likes to say, I don't have time to have a bad time. And I think when they hired mm. Mike McCarthy, one of the reasons they wanted a veteran coach is so that they could have a coach to just take what they believed was a talented enough roster to the next level. Instead, they had injuries. They had a six and 10 season and Jerry doesn't want to rebuild. He wants to win now. So I think he's emotional because he's grateful to be back here, grateful to be getting back to a more normal football season, but also, like you said, because he he didn't have 10 years necessarily to to keep running this team, and he wants it to happen now. The big
1: story around camp also, Dak Prescott today asked about whether he's been vaccinated. He said it was a violation of his HIPAA rights. Uh, That is actually not true. You can certainly be asked. You can say that you don't want to answer, but it is not a violation in any way of HIPAA rights to be asked. Have you gotten any more information out of Dak about that answer, and has anybody spoken to him after he gave that answer about, about the, the question at hand?
7: Yeah, my understanding when Dak told us that is that he didn't want to get into specifics on who has and who has. Now, granted, this is coming after Jerry Jones is telling us at least 84 of the 89 guys will be vaccinated by the season. And that Ezekiel Elliott told us yesterday he grew up in a house where he didn't get vaccinated, I believe specifically flu shots, um, but he did get vaccinated because he wants to be available for the team. So Dak did say, did choose not to answer whether he's been vaccinated, but then also said we have to do a better job of educating ourselves, of educating our neighbors, and I, he said, I know this team is going to get to the numbers, this team is going to do what we have to do. So I think if we read between the lines, he has been vaccinated and the team is working on getting to it. That is my understanding. That said, um, I think as a leader, he's trying not to choose a side, which, again, speaks to our country, that a vaccination in a health crisis is a side. And I can tell you, all of us media members have to be vaccinated, a negative COVID test. And I'm currently wearing a tracking device at the Cowboys facility in case we need contact tracing. So. It is an interesting world we live in, but I I do think that Dak and the majority of the Cowboys roster, as Jerry Jones said, 84 of the 89, will soon be vaccinated.
1: It's interesting. There's two ways of looking at it. Either he doesn't want to pick a side, quote unquote, by announcing his choice, even though if it's 84 of 89, I don't know what what concern he would have about those four not feeling led by him. It's also possible he thinks if they hit the number, then he doesn't have to be a part of that, right? I know the team is going to get to the numbers. The team is going to do what we have to do. That could mean without me needing to do it.
7: I suppose it is possible. But again, my understanding, especially when Zach talks about doing everything he can to be available, that is something that the league has made clear you need to do if you want to ensure you can be available. And I do not expect Zach Prescott to be one of the five who is not vaccinated.
1: Jory Epstein of USA Today Cowboys NFL reporter with me here on Spain and Fitz. One of the other things that was talked about, of course, is his recovery from injury, his availability in every facet of the game. And there seems to be a little bit of what we used to hear about Cam Newton post injury, right? That you can't stop a running quarterback from using that part of their game because of injury, but you have to be smart about it. Is, is that kind of the approach that Dak wants as well? Because we certainly heard from Cam, you, you know, a lion's got a roar or whatever he used to say. So does it feel like Dak is as all in on trying to reclaim that part of his game?
7: Yeah, Dak talked about this when he signed his contract. Again, it's not only that he's coming back from an injury, but also this team is investing $160 million in him over the next four years. And they're doing that so he can be on the field and taking this team far into the postseason. Um, so it's not going to be like, oh, first down, I'm just going to run because I think I can get 10 yards. But if it's a third or fourth down, they need the conversion, the game's on the line. Yeah, you can expect Dak Prescott to run to get physical. And he also thinks that in addition to the yardage he can gain, it fires up his teammates, which they will tell you. So we just got done talking with office Move coordinator Kellen Moore here, and he said it would be, quote, foolish to tell Dak not to run and not to have that as part of his game because that is part of what makes back Dak. So, He'll be smart about it, like I think you saw even in the last few years, especially if his passing game has developed. But I'll expect him to run this season.
1: Yeah, agreed. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Jory Epstein as Cowboys camp is underway. All right, hard knocks for the Cowboys again. Of course, this is a, you know, big bandwagon team. Jerry Jones is always a draw. But I found it interesting to go back to them instead of finding a different team to cover. Who do we expect to be some of the stars of this season of hard knocks?
7: Yeah, it's funny you say that because, again, talking to Kellen Moore, the office coordinator just now, who who isn't the most flashy personality. He goes, well, I won't be the star. And then you have Jerry mm-hmm. Jones at the opening press conference handing head coach Mike McCarthy these sunglasses that were designed by Jamie Foxx. I mean, I think Dan Quinn mm-hmm. can be really interesting. I mean, I was standing really close to him yesterday during practice, just soaking it up. And, I mean, that guy's got color, I think rookie linebacker Mike Parsons we can expect to hear from defensive end to Marcus Lawrence though he's not yet currently healthy enough to be practicing he's got character um and then the Jack and Zeke just banter that those guys have had six years into the league together so it'll be fun to see first episode airing August 10th but those those cameras are everywhere here
1: yeah I, I I'm I'm Cautiously optimistic. Um, I feel like last year it was really tough to do much of anything because of COVID, but we still got a little bit out of it. I'm hoping for a return to full-fledged hard knocks, though a lot more personality, maybe a little less on protocols. Uh, Jory Epstein with me here on Spain and Fitz. You mentioned that this feels like a team that is very vaccinated and is going to hit the threshold, or already has, but is going to almost be fully vaccinated. Does that mean that walking around or in, in the pressers today, you haven't heard some of the consternation we've heard from players on other teams about the COVID memo the NFL sent out?
7: Yeah, I mean, so we have talked to – we talked to most players just before that. We talked to Zeke right after, and he hadn't yet heard about him too. But their line is, we're going to make sure that this doesn't keep our team from having it. And Jerry Jones says it is a fact, not an opinion, that this team will not be at the competitive disadvantage because of it. I mean, again, you see what happened in Minnesota today with the coaching decision being made related to the vaccine. Cowboys coaching staff, 100% vaccinated. So it, it would not be accurate to say they are currently – at the number of vaccines they need, but they like to call it guys are in the pipeline, meaning they've either got one vaccine, you need the second, they've committed to do it. The league is also saying, if you've had COVID and you get one, they'll consider you vaccinated. So uh, they are on their way, and I think we're seeing a lot of players around the league now that they now that they understand what the stakes are that the league has set. That the decision is questionably a decision, especially if you're a guy fighting for a roster spot.
1: We uh, we we've been hearing a lot about the expectations for this team, even though we don't know a whole lot about what Dak's going to look like and exactly how much of what percentage he will be of his of his full strength. But we've been hearing a lot of takes anyway about the consequences if they don't succeed. Ryan Clark was actually on Max Kellerman. I think it was yesterday talking about the job of McCarthy if they don't have a great season
4: for Mike McCarthy to keep his job This team has to progress past the first round in the playoffs. And mark my words, Max Kellerman, I'm telling you this, today in July still, if this team is better defensively, but they don't move on in the playoffs, Dan Quinn is the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys.
1: Jory, what do you make of that?
7: I think it's interesting when you look at Kellen Moore head coaching jobs with offseason. Obviously, Dan Quinn came to the Cowboys after being the head coach in Atlanta where he took Atlanta to a Super Bowl, not to win it, of course. I think guys are in the wings here. So if you're Mike McCarthy, you need to show not just that your team can win, but ideally that your team can win in part because of you, not in spite of you, which I don't think that. I would say there was any game last year that the Cowboys won because of Mike McCarthy. So, I and, and Dan Quinn's got pretty incredible command when he's working with these players. He knows what he's doing. So, they really want to see that this is a guy who can take Jack to a new level like he had done or at least been there for when it happened when Aaron Rodgers was reaching new heights. They want to see the quarterback game develop. And I think that whether it was COVID and virtual installs or what, McCarthy did not show what the Cowboys wanted him to last mm-hmm. year. And it's time for him to prove that he can do
1: that. Yeah, it feels like a short leash on everyone around there based on the emotion from Jerry Jones and the urgency. I'm a little worried when Jerry Jones said, I would literally do anything to win. Like, I think there needs to be cameras on him full time. I'm just I'm worried about what he <laughs> meant by that and what kind of lengths he's willing to go to. Uh, safety first, Jerry, for everyone involved there. Hey, Jerry, <laughs> thanks for the time. Enjoy camp.
7: Thanks so much, Sarah. I appreciate you having me on. Jory Epstein from USA
1: Today covers the Cowboys NFL reporter with me here on Spain and Fitz. Don't forget, tune into an interleague battle Sunday as the Brewers host the White Sox, presented by Credit Karma. Coverage of Sunday night baseball begins at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, and at 7 p.m. on ESPN. Coming up, it's a Friday. You know what that means? Sports Tinder.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: That's right, it's a Friday. Usually, my partner and I, often Jason Fitz, often not these days as he's been pulled all over the rest of the station filling in for people, but we do a little something called Sports Tinder where we uh, swipe right, up, down, left uh, in response to a bunch of questions, some of them related to sports because we assume that's how you're spending your Friday, swiping, making bad decisions, Uh, and I'm going to do it solo tonight, solo Sports Tinder.
0: Sports Tinder.
1: It's not really solo, I guess, because that guy's with me. Sexy voice guy is always here for me. And I'm still gonna swipe, I'm gonna make some bad decisions. I'm gonna start with the Bucks Super Bowl rings. Kinda gross, actually, Tom Brady unboxing a seventh Super Bowl ring. Honestly, save some for the rest of us. But this is a pretty sweet one. I'd kind of forgotten that the Bucks were the first team ever to win in their own stadium. That was one of those, the many storylines around that Super Bowl that had kind of gotten lost for me in the time since. And these rings didn't forget because the top of the ring is removable and there's a replica Raymond James Stadium with a 50-yard line and seats and everything inside the ring. 319 diamonds, 15 carats of white, 14 carats of yellow. It is sparkly as hell. And the number of diamonds reflect the 31-9 to 9 final score. The first time there's ever been a screw off top. There's a, some etching along it. Uh, just beautiful beautiful rings and the question I have is are these rings so over the top that they're actually cool and in spite of myself I have to say
0: swipe right
1: they are it's really cool like I don't know if I love the scores that ring the inside of the of the the, the ring on the stadium those are a little bit much but as gaudy as these are they're beautiful absolutely gorgeous and I do love the idea that they paid homage to the fact that they were the first team to win at home so Shout out to the Bucks. And actually, cool story. So a couple weeks ago, I was uh, at a watch party for a Cubs that my husband's website threw at a bar in Wrigleyville. And Sarah Thomas, the official, walked in. And uh, we recognized each other. We started hanging out. She's cool as hell. We made plans to try to hang out around one of the games that she's officiating either in Chicago or take a road trip somewhere where she's going to be. And she's she's got a Super Bowl ring, which is I don't think a lot of people knew that. I didn't know that if you officiate the Super Bowl, you get a ring, not the likes of which the Bucks are wearing. I think it's different. But because she's the first woman ever to officiate a Super Bowl, she got to help design her own because she wanted one she'd actually wear. She said the rings for the guys are so big, it you know takes up two of her fingers. So she was wearing her Super Bowl ring that night and she wears it around everywhere. She designed it to be something that she could actually rock all the time, unlike the small car that is sitting on the ring of the Bucks players. So uh, shout out Sarah Thomas. Very cool to learn that and to get a chance to see her ring. All right, next topic in sports Tinder. Uh, Very loosely related to sports, but one of the funniest stories I've seen of late and haven't had a chance to talk about it. A guy found 158 bowling balls buried in his yard. He started some demolition, some renovation on his house. And as he started to take apart these concrete steps... He found some bowling balls and then more and then more until he had 158 of them. And it turns out a huge chunk of his backyard was part of a bowling ball manufacturer plant. So he keeps finding these. He described him kind of like a paleontologist, right, dusting off bones. Many of them were damaged. They didn't have the holes in them. So probably they were, you know, bad bowling balls, ones that they were damaged and weren't able to, to use. And they let people use them as as landfill. And he wasn't sure why, but he had an immediate answer as to what he was going to do with his 158 bowling balls. He said he's going to use some of them as landscape edging and make some into a sculpture. He said he's going to give some to his stepfather to take uh, and use as custom furniture legs. And he said a nearby church requested some to use in a bowling ball cannon at a pig roast. So it's a church pig roast with a bowling ball cannon. So, of course, the question I have is, was this the perfect guy to find 158 bowling balls in his backyard? And the answer, of course, is
0: swipe up. Super like.
1: Yes. There's not a better person in the world to have found 158 bowling balls in his yard than someone who wants to use them for, you know, furniture legs and landscaping and happens to know a church with a bowling ball cannon at their pig
4: roast. This guy's my new hero.
1: I I had a feeling, Stosh. Congrats to you, sir, on the bevy of balls in your backyard. And I'm talking about the bowling balls, presumably. It's Sports Tinder, Solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio. Uh, Moving on to the next story. This is just incredible. There is a Brazilian soccer player. Her, um, her name is Formiga. She goes by by the one name. Her real name is Muriel Des Marcial Mota, but she's known worldwide as Formiga. She competed in her seventh Olympics in soccer when she made her debut uh, when Brazil played on wednesday forty three years old, there are seven women's soccer tournaments in the history. Of the games since the Olympic Games started introducing women's soccer in '96, she has played in all of them. Pretty incredible! Uh, shout out to her, and I would give her credit as the best and oldest, but she's been beaten because you may recall this from the last Olympics and the one before, and the one before, and the one before. But there is a gymnast who is competing yet again, and she is 46 years old and a gymnast, she's not a curler. She's not, you know, I don't even, I, there's literally almost any sport that you could compete in that would be less difficult on your body than gymnastics. And this woman, Oksana Chusovitina, is the oldest gymnast ever in the history of the Olympics. Four decades, seven summer games. And the question, of course, is does this make me feel awful about myself? And the answer is
0: swipe up. Yes. Super like.
1: Yeah, I feel like trash. I can barely, you know, get my Pilates workouts and my yoga and my Peloton, and she's in her multiple, you know, four decades and seven games worth—unbelievable. Finally, it's a Friday. Ted Lasso season two came out this morning at twelve oh one, and I think you need to hear this.
0: Hey, look at Isaac. He looks like Rodin sculpture in cleats, boots. Hmm? They call cleats boots. I thought you said that the trunk of a car was a boot also boot. hold on now. if i were to get fired from a job where i'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car you got the boot for putting boots in the boot (laughs) i love that
1: ah so much joy in the show it's so simple it's just full of elevated dad jokes and decent people and characters who don't fall prey to sitcom bs like every other show they answer each other honestly they fix their problems it's funny smart the question is, should it ever be allowed to end? And the answer is, of course, no, Swipe up. never. Super yeah, like. It should never be allowed to end. Have a great weekend. Friday and Fitzsimmons are next.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN radio.